Yes. Omega Watts in the house. Now let me set the table, now, now, now let me set the table Invited to the banquet, I'm glad that you can make it Invited to the banquet, I'm glad that you can make it And questions I ask myself Hello table friends, how are we doing? That's right, welcome to the table If you're here for the first time or the first time in a long time Or you are a regular attender as of two weeks uh, We are really glad you are here with us tonight We are in the midst of a series of messages on how to think with discernment about all of these issues that life throws at us. Uh, I don't know if, where you are this week. Maybe you've had a lot of decisions you've had to think about. Uh, I'm in a bit of decision fatigue. Do you guys know what I mean by decision fatigue? Where it's like the 24th decision you have to make in the day and you're like, adulting is the worst, right? So we're here to try to help you with that. And what we're aiming to do is to try to give or provide Christian answers to non-religious questions. Questions that maybe the Bible doesn't speak too clearly, but Christians seem to have these very strong positions on, and we're trying to ask, is this what the Bible really says on this issue? Last week, we looked at the framework for this whole series, and so I'm, I'm just going to remind you, if you weren't here last week, kind of to read you into where we are so you have the vocabulary to kind of hang with us here tonight. If you want to hear more on that, I want to invite you to go to our YouTube page. You can look up the, ch the table Orlando and you can find the talk from last week. It was amazing. Everyone got saved again. Uh, some have described it as the greatest message that's ever been given uh, in the 21st century. So um, sources close to me tell me that's what it is. But basically there's this chart here and I'm going to refer to this uh, 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 kind of whiteboard here to talk about it, and it's also going to be on the screen, so I'll try to slow down so we can all kind of catch up. But basically, what we're trying to do is follow Jesus's strategy for how to engage the world. Jesus was the greatest and smartest man who ever lived because he's God, and he told uh, the, the first Christians and followers, hey, I'm sending you into the world as sheep among wolves, and then he gave them this strategy. Uh, be as shrewd as snakes and be as innocent as doves. And so what we're trying to do is think about issues through the lens of shrewdness and innocence. We're balancing both, not trying to be on one extreme or the other. It's not good enough to just be innocent, innocent in a moral way. It's not good enough to just be shrewd in a pragmatic way. We've got to try to be both if we're going to have the confidence to make good decisions. And so last week what we looked at is this matrix here. We can think about decisions uh, from a range of being really obedient to our moral conscience before God or disobedient. And on the horizontal kind of axis here, we can think about decisions being primarily beneficial to us in a pragmatic way, in a shrewd way, or detrimental to us in a pragmatic or a shrewd way. Uh, in the culture we live in, we tend to inherit the extremes in these categories. You're either this or this. And the beauty of the way that Jesus thinks about things is he says, no, don't be either this or this. Be this right here. In general, with decisions that we make, if you're going to be obedient, but you're not going to think about the benefit very much, this is where naivety is. And a lot of Christians raised in church grow up in naivety about things. They're naive. They, they think the ideal only. 
Then over here, kind of the world I grew up in, this is really calculating. We don't think about the morality or the ethics of anything, but we're rather just very pragmatic about things, very shrewd. And those are the extremes. You can either, either be this naive person who lives in a bubble, or you can be this shrewd man or woman of the real streets. Over here, where you have neither benefit nor obedience, this is what we call hopelessness. And some of you may have grown up in that kind of world where you weren't ever thinking about morality. You also didn't have much by way of a plan. And so life just felt really hopeless. Maybe you're here tonight and you feel really hopeless. And so it's my prayer that these categories, the teaching of Jesus personified kind of in this matrix would maybe begin to give you some words to put description to how you're feeling so that by God's grace, he might move you uh, into this area up here. This is the area that Jesus wants all humans to live in. It's the area of confidence where you are concerned with the morality of something and you are equally concerned with its benefit to your own life. Now, that's a lot. So let me see if tonight we can contextualize this a little more as we think through the next issue. I want to remind you that in two weeks, we're talking about politics. And so if you have, someone's very happy about that, all right. Uh, if you're someone who cares a lot about politics or you're someone who's like me, who's pretty apathetic towards politics, this might be a good message for you or for your friends because we're going to think about politics primarily through this lens. This week, I'm sorry, that's in three weeks. In two weeks, so in three weeks, we're on politics. In two weeks, uh, we're doing what Salt and Peppa like to do. We're talking about sex, baby, uh, right? And so we're going to look at sexuality primarily through this lens. This week, however, we're talking about alcohol, okay? Now, typically, I like to start off with some context to try to bring you guys into the conversation. I want y'all feeling and aware and emotionally and mentally all up to speed on what it's like to think about approaching alcohol, but as most of you are 20-year-olds, uh, we have a few 30-year-olds in the room, but all of you are young adults who are kind of in Orlando, my suspicion is that the last time you had to think about alcohol was between 24 and 72 hours ago, right? Uh, if, if I go, hey, I want you to imagine that you're like in a bar scenario or you're at home getting wine with your girlfriends, right? Uh, for most of us in the room, I'm just going to be completely honest, most of us, that was really what happened like 72 hours ago. Uh, because young adults in Orlando drink alcohol. I know that may be shocking to some of you, but I think most of you would be like, that is shocking. He is definitely no, he's talking about me. Yep, that was me, right? And so here, right up front, I want you to understand something. The spirit that we're teaching through uh, or teaching in the context here is one of generosity. Listen, Paul says this, everything is permissible. You can do whatever you want with whomever you want, as much as you want. Everything is permissible. It's not like God is going to strike you with lightning because you go to the bar and you're like, yes, can I have a beer, right? Uh, do you want to see my Christian card? I'm a Christian, right? Uh, that kind of moment, right? It's not that God's going to strike you dead. Everything's permissible. Again, what we're trying to ask ourselves today is, given that most of us are having to think about alcohol because we're young adults in Orlando, what is it, if anything, that Christianity that Jesus could say, what is it Jesus could say to help us not only think through whether this is beneficial for me, but also whether I can maintain that beneficiality and still be obedient to Jesus? Is there some way to think through this? And to set all that up, let me just kind of tell you my background on the issue, okay? I grew up in a home uh, where 
alcohol was consumed freely. There was always beer in the fridge. There was the box thing of wine, you know, like the mommy juice box. You guys know what I'm talking about? Some Franzia, right? If you guys are aware of that. Uh, And so my parents uh, always consumed alcohol from a very early age. I knew alcohol was in the mix. Uh, My dad went to parties. My parents went to parties. My dad was in the business world in Houston, Texas, where I'm from. And there, he, he took me to bars from a very early age and corporate events where there was lots of alcohol. So I was around alcohol all the time. But alcohol for the way my family grew up was a lot like maybe way, the way some of your family grew up. It was primarily thought of in terms of its benefit. And if you're primarily thinking about the benefit of alcohol but not the obedience side, then that typically makes you what I would consider to be just a general social drinker, right? And so right here, let me just write on here, if you're thinking about alcohol in terms of the pragmatism, this is where our social drinkers are. Alcohol provides a social benefit to me both because it makes me feel good, takes the, the edge off, but also because it helps me to network and meet other people. There's a lot of social benefits for alcohol. And this is where I grew up. Um, so I saw a lot of the good of this, but as a kid, I also saw a lot of the bad of this. I remember being in, um, you know, Fourth of July parties or functions or whatever where there's that one lady who had just a little too much to drink and then she decided to get real handsy with her friend's husband and then the two ladies were like now having the loud conversation like and there's there's always that one part where you don't even know you don't even know I know what you don't know you don't know but I know right and those kind of things just took place and I remember seeing that going yeah I, you know I don't have a moral framework I grew up a non-Christian I'm like but I don't know That just doesn't seem good. Or there's the guy who just drank a little. And you know, there's always kind of two people who kind of, you know, when you drink too much, you either get really happy or you get really angry, right? And so uh, the guy who got real angry and just was real loud, like, yeah, my dad didn't love me. And that's why I'm this way. You guys don't care about that. But listen, some of us are in pain here tonight. Yeah. I love being a six-year-old at a party where some guy is having his counseling session right there in front of me uh, and this group of people. I think counseling's great. I, you know, I've been going to counseling, but having that moment right there uh, in vulnerability before a six-year-old, uh, it made me feel a little un- uncomfortable, right? And so this was all the pitfalls of social drinking that I saw. Um, on, the, uh, on the other side over here, okay, uh, is where the naive people are, where they, they tend to think about alcohol in really simplistic terms. And I'm just going to say up here, this is the teetotalers, okay? Now, you guys may not know what teetotalers is, but it's, it's, a, it's a term from prohibition in America. But it's, I only drink tea. If there's anything I drink that's a stimulant, it's, it's iced tea, right? Because it, you know, caffeine wakes me up. Do you guys know about caffeine, are you young adults? Are we still... We're good with caffeine. Young, I don't know any young adults who've ever sat in coffee shops ever uh, and drank. Yeah, some of you are like, it's a pandemic. No one sits in a coffee shop. We sit outside now. We order curbside to go and we sit outside like a maniac in the heat drinking coffee that's hot. Anyway, so teetotalers don't drink any alcohol. They only drink tea and they're kind of defined by what they don't do. They don't drink alcohol. They only drink this. And I got exposed to teetotalers when I became a Christian. At 16, I became a Christian. I started going to this very conservative church. Maybe you guys had this same experience. But I remember very early on uh, when I would go hang out with my Christian families and I would go to the fridge and I would open it up. There would be Sunny D. uh, And like the pitcher of water, the Brita with the filter. 
uh, do you guys remember this? And the, you know, they're like, oh, we got to change the filter. It's been three days. And you're like, uh, what? like, I didn't know anything about this system of drinking water. I was like, there's a tap right there. They're like, oh, we don't do tap water. That's gross, right? Uh, but this was Christians, right? And I noticed there was no alcohol. And so early on, I asked one of my mentors, I was at their house. I said, hey, I noticed there's no alcohol here. And they were like, oh, like this, like a librarian where someone talked. They were like, oh my gosh, right? like, alcohol. And I was like, oh, uh, I like, what's the deal? They're like, well, we're Christians. We don't drink. And I was like, oh, that explains a lot, right? Uh, that's why you guys are no fun. Just kidding, Christians. Just kidding. Uh, but I learned really early on that Christians are teetotalers. They, you know, a lot of them, because of the way prohibition worked and the way that the church got involved with prohibition to, to make alcohol illegal, the way that the church uh, uh, set itself apart against the mob and East Coast elites who like to run moonshine and drink alcohol, that, that Christianity in America gets merged with an anti-alcohol mindset. And so when I became a Christian, I just understood alcohol was not something that Christians did because all my Christian mentors didn't drink and they told me drinking was bad, which was really interesting because my dad was kind of a notorious drinker in my town. And so they're like, isn't it great that the notorious drinker's kids, uh, kid is now a teetotaler like us, right? Jesus still works, right? Uh, just that was kind of the narrative right there. And I remember hearing early on, a lot of my Christian friends tell me this kind of thing. Maybe you've heard it too. I would say, well, why don't you drink alcohol? And they would say, because if you drink alcohol, you're gonna become a drunk, right? Like any alcohol, one sip of alcohol, you become a drunk. And that's down here, right? This is the hopeless category because typically people who are pretty hopeless will end up trying to medicate themselves in some way, shape, or form, alcohol being one of those. And um, the teetotalers, the, the, the Christians I was around were like, if you drink any alcohol at all, this is what's going to happen. There's like, it's a slippery slope into drunkenness. And every testimony I heard in church or every other one was of some guy who was an alcoholic or who drank too much. And then he got saved. And one of the th first things did, uh, Jesus did is he blew all the alcohol out of his fridge. And now he doesn't drink alcohol. And everyone would be like, mm, yes, the Lord is moving. And so again, I just learned that if you really want to not get drunk, the best way to not get drunk is to never drink, and so just be up here, and this is what all good Christians are. And I thought, these were the three options in life. Anybody else in the room hear those three options growing up? Kind of, okay, I'm getting some nods. Some of you are afraid to mention this. You're like, that was me, but, and some of you have masks on, so you're smizing right now. You're just like, mm-hmm, yeah, that's right. Okay, I thought this was it in life. And so when I turned 21, my, my wife grew up in a home of teetotalers. I just, we, we just didn't drink. And it was never an option. If, I, if there was a party on campus in the college I went to I, and I knew there was beer or alcohol, I just wouldn't go. Uh, there's no red solo cups in my house, right? It's just not what we're doing. And so in my 20s, I didn't drink. That was just kind of understood because I'm a Christian. I didn't drink. And then when I turned 25, 26, I got accepted into grad school in Chicago and I moved out of the South and I moved to Chicago and my wife taught at a Lutheran Christian school. You guys know where this is going, right? And the principal of this Lutheran Christian school invites us over to their faculty party to kick off the year. And my wife had been a teacher for a while. We'd been to faculty parties. They were kind of, you know, boring. Any teachers in the room? The faculty parties, not always fun. Um, and so we showed up and it's the pastor's house and we knock on the door and the door opens and the, um, the pastor says, come on in. Um, and we walk in and there's alcohol everywhere. <laughs> there is so much alcohol, they have broken it up 
like buy grocery aisles uh, in the place. And we walk in and Nat- Natalie and I take off our jackets and we kind of, we kind of hand off and we're like, uh, like this. And I'll never forget, the principal comes up to us and he goes, hi, so let me help you get oriented. There is beer over here in the side, right? Back here we have the margarita machines and all of the mixed drinks. And then over here with the pastor, and the pastor goes, hello. Uh, Over here with the pastor is all the wine. So you guys just help yourselves. And Natalie and I were like, is this a trick? Is... Is this a hazing thing that Lutherans do to new people who move here? Is this because we're from the South? Because I'm thinking through my three options, and it's definitely not this. And I'm not sure if it's this, but I'm afraid if it's this, I'm going to be here by the end of the night because that's what all these people have told me is going to happen if I consume alcohol. It's like shoots and ladders all the way here. And then our first thing in this new job, in this new place where we don't know people is we are drunk at the pastor's house. So I was just thinking, not today, Satan. No. You will not tempt me. And so Natalie and I just look at each other the way like spies do before they go into a meeting. We're just like, right? We were not drinking alcohol at all. And we were just like, no, 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 no. And our Southern charm, no, 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 no. And all these nice Midwesterners who love Jesus were like, "Mm, interesting. That's weird. Uh, And by the end of the night, we were watching them and we were like, something is up here. And the more we got to know them, the more we worked there. And we lived there for two years. Every time we would hang out, there would be alcohol present. And we were like, okay. And so we started to have these conversations and we realized there was this fourth option out here, and it was somewhere right here. And tonight, I want to talk about this fourth option, okay? It's the option that Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 5. Before he talks about husbands and wives, it's very interesting, he talks about this issue. As if wives submitting to their husbands was not controversial enough, he decided to talk about alcohol right in the middle of this passage about learning to walk wisely wherever you go. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Ephesians chapter 5, or you can swipe open or Google search or whatever you got to do here. Ephesians 5, it's going to be on the screen. Paul says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit addressing one another in psalms and in hymns and in spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul says this is the fourth option if you are going to be someone who thinks about alcohol both pragmatically, beneficially, shrewdly, wisely, but also obediently before the Lord. And it is being the spirit-filled Christian. The spirit-filled Christian. I'll put that right there. So, what does Paul mean by spirit-filled? Because, again, I've been to bars. I've seen plenty of people who are filling themselves with spirits. And it just... (laughs) You know, it doesn't seem like that's maybe the option. So let me just give you a a picture here. Paul uses these three 
definitions or these three sentences as manifestations of what it means to be spirit-filled in all things. And what he's basically saying in this passage is this is what a spirit-filled person looks like. And so just think about being that while you're consuming alcohol. And if you can consume alcohol and still be this, then you can be someone who's in this quadrant living confidently as, as you engage alcohol. And here's the three things. Number one, you're asking this question. Can I encourage other people with songs of worship to God? Paul says, if you're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, do so by singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart before the Lord. So I just want you to think about this. The next time you're at happy hour, right, can you walk in there and go, okay, I'm going to sit down with my coworkers and I'm going to order an adult beverage And as I'm consuming it, I'm just going to start making melody in my heart to God. And if you're someone who can do that, then you're in the spirit-filled Christian zone. If you can talk about Jesus, if you can think clearly about Jesus, if your affections for Jesus are stirred at every given moment, then you are not someone who is being drunk on wine. In other words, the alcohol is controlling your motives and things going on with you. It's the Spirit of God that is making melody to Jesus. So just try that next time. Sit down at happy hour if you must and just go, okay, well, let's test this out and just, you know, start singing here again. Like, you're all I want. Will you meet me here again? Right? Just see and just see to your call. Can your colleagues look at you and just go, okay, that's pretty cool that you're singing a hymn, drinking a beer. Like, what church do you want to go to? And can I go with you on Tuesday night? Right? Uh, just see if that can happen. That's the first test. Why? Because someone who is being controlled by God, someone who is being filled by God, the, the natural outpouring of that is going to be that they're going to be praising God that their affections and their mind are going to be aligned on who Jesus is. That's the first one. The second one's this. Can I give thanks for everything God has done for me? Am I someone that if I consume alcohol, I'm still remaining thankful to Jesus? Or am I like someone who's over here that the more I drink, the more I'm like, man, my life is so terrible. I just can't believe what God has done for me. You guys may have known these people who drink a lot and they get, again, they get a little angry and they get a little whiny and they get a little bit complainy. Paul is not thinking of that He's thinking of the people who when they sit down, they're able to be so thankful for who God is. There were two authors in the 20th century named C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien. Do we know about this? Have you guys heard about this? There was a movie based on the book that C.S. Lewis wrote called The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. You can check it out on Hulu or Netflix or Prime Video or wherever you consume media. Just don't pirate it, please. That would be bad. Anyway. So C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien used to meet pretty regularly at a pub and drink an alcoholic beverage and talk theology. And this is what Paul's talking about. If you're able to sit down and have a charitable dialogue thinking through all the ways that God has been good to you and the alcohol doesn't distract you from that thankfulness you have in your heart in addition to the melody you're making to Jesus, then you're someone who in general walks in the spirit and is a spirit-filled person and alcohol doesn't distract you from that. It doesn't take over your life and motivate you to just be a whiner all the time. Can you do that? Number three, can you, can you be teachable to others around you? Can I be teachable? Because Paul says this, submitting to one another. I want you to imagine you're out for drinks with a friend or you're at your apartment and you're having drinks with a friend. And imagine you're taking this alcohol in and it's starting to hit your system. It's hitting the bloodstream. Everything's starting to feel a little alive, okay? And 
uh, one of your roommates who's a Christian friend comes over to you and says, hey man, I think you might be drinking a little too much. I, I just want to, like he, they text you privately so that it's, you know, hey, I, you read it. You're like, hey man, are you, is that too many drinks? Is that, is three drinks too many drinks? And I want you to imagine how you would feel in that moment. Paul says, if you're a spirit-filled Christian, you're someone who's going to be submissive to other Christians around you. When your friend says, I think this is too much, you go, ooh, you know, you're right. I don't feel like it's too much, but I trust you and I'm trying to be wise. My love for you, my relationship with you is far more important than taking another sip of this drink. So that's cool. I'm just going to pour this out and I'm going to see, I'm going to go off to bed. See you guys later. If someone were to walk up to you in the middle of consuming an alcoholic beverage and have a conversation with you about your behavior, would you be teachable? Or would you be like someone who's way over here who's like, you can't tell me what to do. I can drink as much as I want. I know my limit. I'm a grown person. No one can talk to me about my body. I know when enough is too much, right? Are you that kind of a person? Paul says the spirit-filled Christian is someone who can, when they're thinking about alcohol, they can still be teachable. They can be submitted to one another. And so, in light of that, that Paul brings up drunkenness and compares it to being filled with the Holy Spirit, I want you to notice something here. As Paul talks about alcohol, specifically wine, specifically red wine in this text, as he's thinking about it, Paul is assuming that everyone is already drinking. He doesn't say, if you drink wine, then don't get drunk. He just says straight up, don't get drunk on wine. Meaning, I know you guys are already drinking, so if you're going to drink, don't get drunk. That's the assumption. Now, why would Paul make this assumption? And more importantly, why would the whole of the biblical council make this assumption about alcohol? Well, here's the answer. The answer is because the two most common items in any meal in the ancient Near East, in, in Hebrew culture, in that time period, would be red wine and bread. Why? Because if you've ever been to Jerusalem or kind of the area, you see a lot of vineyards and you see a lot of wheat fields. And when Jesus talks, he talks a lot about vineyards and wheat fields. The two most important kind of uh, agricultural products are grapes and wheat. If there's a third one, it would be olive oil. You've basically just made up an Italian food restaurant, okay? Italian food, Roman food, extends primarily from a Christian culture in which the three main staples are bread and wine and olive oil, right? So the whole of the Bible assumes that human beings are going to consume alcohol. I want to stop here and let you know. Listen, I have a lot of respect for teetotalers. I think it's a great discipline. In the Old Testament, there are two particular people, Nazarenes and priests, or Nazarites and priests, who abstain. They discipline themselves away from alcohol so that they can stay sober-minded. Why? Because priests and, and Nazarenes are, uh, uh, are having to make decisions about people. They're having to be judges and be discerning. They're like the Supreme Court justices of their time. They need to be sober at all times because you never know when someone sins in the middle of the night and you're like, I got to get up. I got to kill a bull. I got to get the chainsaw oiled. I got to get my truck. I got to go get the bull. I got to put him in the truck. I got to come back over here. I got to cut him in half. There's a certain way we got to walk in between. You got to be sober. If you think it's hard to walk a line outside of your car with a police officer shining his flashlight in front of you just to make sure that you're sober, the sobriety test of like, uh, uh, uh. I want you to imagine trying to do that with a bull in between 
between you or in between a bull where you've just sliced it in half with a chainsaw. That's what priests had to do. It takes a lot of soberness. So priests would take this position as a way to be discerning leaders. But outside of those two categories, the Bible assumes human beings are going to drink. So, next time you're at Thanksgiving and your really conservative grandma is like, I don't understand how you young people drink. Here's my recommendation. I think you go, Granny, the overwhelming assumption of the Bible is that people drink. Let me ask you a question. Why don't you drink? Okay? I'm kidding. Don't do that. That would be a terrible idea. Look, this is so, this is so wonderful. Like, people are going to watch this on YouTube later. Hi, YouTube. Uh, you guys are just like, is he serious? I can't tell. Like, I'm in a mask. I can't read things right now. I don't know what's going on. No, don't do that. Here's what I want you to understand from all of this. The assumption of the Bible is that people are going to drink wine and eat bread, which is why Jesus says, as often as you do those things, do them in remembrance of me. What's Jesus saying? Be spirit-filled in your consumption of all things. And so if this is the biblical position on alcohol, which it is, then we have to ask two questions, one being the beneficial question and one being the moral question. Number one, should I drink? If I'm permitted by Scripture to drink, if the Lord who created the whole universe drank red wine with his disciples before he went up to heaven, then should I drink, okay? That's the moral question, should I drink? Number two is the ethical question, the pragmatic question. Should I drink in this particular situation? And I wanna address both of those, okay? So the rest of the time, that's all I'm gonna address, and then we're gonna sing some songs. You guys good with that? Table fam, y'all still with me? No, one, no one's been scared off? Uh, any of you like set up, a, a, like text each other right now, they're like, Doug said we can drink, let's go to the bar afterwards. <laughs> After, talk about an after party. Here we go. Okay. No one's going to be supplying alcohol in the courtyard after this. Y'all be cool. Okay. Okay. All right. So, should I drink? What, let me ask this. What overall does the Bible say about drinking? And I already kind of hinted at it. But I want to just read these verses because I want you to, to feel the full effect here. Okay. So, we're going to just read some verses. Uh, if you want to, you can text me later. You can get on Instagram and we'll DM you all these verses. But here it is. Psalm 104. The Lord makes plants for men to cultivate. This is not recommendation to smoke weed. Just be cool. The Lord makes plants for man to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth, wine that gladdens the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, olive oil, and bread that sustains his heart. Those are the three main agricultural products. Right? Ecclesiastes 9.7. These are both Old Testament references. Go eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart, for it is now that God favors what you do. Again, both of those verses, Old Testament speaking positively about wine, specifically red wine. Um, Proverbs 23.20. Do not join those who drink too much wine or gorge themselves on meat, for drunkards and gluttons become poor and drowsiness clothes them in rags. Again, if you're going to drink wine, okay, that's fine, but, but don't be one of these people. Be over here. Isaiah 5.11, woe to those who rise early in the morning and run after their drinks, who stay up late at night until they are inflamed with wine. They have harps and lyres at their banquets, tambourines and flutes and wine, but they have no regard for the deeds of the Lord, no respect for the work of his hands. Again, if you're going to drink wine, fine, but don't be a drunk. Now we get to the New Testament. 1 Timothy, Paul's writing this. Keep yourself pure. Now this is really interesting. Paul's about to give medical advice to Timothy, who's a pastor of a young church. And here's what he says. Keep yourself pure. 
No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Paul is telling Timothy, don't be a teetotaler. You're a pastor of a church. You've got all these ailments. Why don't you just have a nice little glass of red wine, five ounces? It's 120 calories. It'll be good for your heart, man. Just for the, for the love of all that's holy. Por lo amor de Dios, a total socrado. Have some wine, Timothy. Paul is saying this. I remember reading this after I was hanging out with my friends in Chicago. And I asked them, like, how did you guys get over here? And they said, well, Paul tells Timothy to drink a little wine. And I was like, you're kidding me. He's like, no, it's in the Bible. I was like, uh-uh. So, like, I pulled up the Bible and I'm like, <laughs> I'm going to show you guys, right? Flipping over, I get to 1 Timothy and it's like, don't only drink water, but use a little wine. And I was like, huh. And it was just like this gong hit, bong. And it's like, oh. This new option opened up where I could consume wine. I'd never thought about that before. Paul commands another human being to drink wine. Let that soak in, right? But don't get drunk on that thought. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-five. In the same way, Jesus also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it. How often did Jesus say to do this? As often as you drink wine. Every time you drink wine, have communion. Have the Lord's Supper before me. Do this in remembrance of me. So, should I drink? Here's the biblical position as I understand it today as of 753. Man, I've been talking for a while. Isaac, I'm working on this. Uh, 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 September 22nd, 753. Uh, you are permitted to drink, and in some cases, it's beneficial. You're permitted to drink, and in some cases, it's beneficial. But be wise, don't get drunk, and don't make alcohol your idol. Be wise, don't get drunk, and don't make alcohol your idol. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Can I sing songs? Can I be teachable to other Christians? Can I maintain my thankfulness while drinking? So should you? I don't know. Listen to this. Uh, If you're under 21, you shouldn't. It's illegal, okay? So if you're under 21, don't drink alcohol because it's illegal. And that would violate the obedience issue here. You would not be obedient to the rulers and authority. If you move to Germany for like some, you know, semester abroad where the legal drinking age is 16, well, guess what? It's now not illegal. So be wise and you don't have to do it, but be wise and don't get drunk. When you turn 21, if you want to start to try alcohol, be wise, be wise. And that wisdom requires that we ask a second question. Not only should I drink, but should I drink in this situation? And so what I want to do with the remainder of our time is just give you the five rules for drinking if you're over 21 and you're a Christian. Okay, five rules. And if you want to write them down, it's really great. We'll we'll kind of go here. They're actually the five, it's called the five no diagnostic. I invented it earlier today. So patent pending. So if you're going to Instagram that, that, that junk, be sure to, you know, throw some respect on my name. Uh, yeah. So here we go. The five no diagnostic. Number one, are you with safe friends? If you're thinking about going out and drinking with somebody, the first question I would ask is, are you with safe friends? Are, are you with people you trust that you could be submitted to? And if the answer is no, I would caution you against going out. If you're someone who goes, hey, I just met these people, like I was hitchhiking and they picked me up and uh, they were like, hey, let's go to this bar. And I was like, cool, sounds like fun, right? And you just like, that's not a a premise of a really good evening or a really wise evening, okay? So I, I, I would just advise against that. Number two, is it in private? 
Are with, am I with safe friends? Yes. Is it in private? Yes. Okay, if you're with safe friends and you're in private, that sounds good. If you're in public, again, I would just caution you for a lot of reasons. I would just caution you about drinking in public. You don't know who's there. You don't know who's watching. You don't know what offense they might take. Um, and I'm not saying you need to live for everybody else, but I'm just saying um, it, it just gets messy in public, so just be wise. It's not, a, it's, it's not a hard and fast rule. I'm not saying don't, but just be cautious if it's in public. Number three, are you with safe friends? Is it in private? Can I avoid drinking alcohol? If I go to this event with my safe friends and it's private, okay, can I go to this thing and not drink? Meaning, can everybody else around me drink and I cannot drink and it's not a weird thing, Okay. If I go and everyone's playing beer pong and they're like, why aren't you drinking? Well, we're playing beer pong. Well, you got to jump in. It's beer pong. Or if everyone's taking shots and you're like, I don't want to take shots. And they're like, why aren't you taking shots? Everyone's taking shots, whatever. If you can't exist there without drinking, if drinking is part of the occasion for gathering, okay, then I would just have caution about being part of this experience because, again, it just doesn't seem wise. I remember being in high school and my first friends who turned 16 and started driving, they were like... Hey, Hankins, we're having a party out in the oil flats in the, in the pasture. You want to come out? And I was like, well, you know, I have a car. It sounds appealing. What's the occasion? They're like, well, Sam's got a keg. I was like, okay, well, that's kind of like the accoutrements of the party, but what's the occasion of the party? And they're like, well, the occasion is Sam's got a keg. Like the whole purpose of getting together is just to drink. I was like, the purpose of getting together is to drink with people I don't know. And they're like, yeah, sounds like fun. I was like, no, that sounds like a nightmare because I already don't like most of you. And, and alcohol being added to that isn't going to make me like you anymore or make you like yourself anymore. So I'm going to stay away from this, right? And in general, I would just recommend this to you. No judgment. I'm not mad at anybody. But that doesn't sound like a, a, a well thought through experience, okay? If you, cannot, if you cannot be at this thing, and not drink, I would just make it a pass. All right, next question. Do I know my limit? If I'm with safe people, if it's in private, um, if I can avoid drinking alcohol, so there's no pressure for me to have to drink in order to fit in, and I decide I'm going to drink, do I already go in knowing what my limit is? Again, if you're if you just turned 21, you're going to take your first, you know, sip of alcohol. I don't recommend going to like a raging party where you're like, it's my first time to drink. And they're like, shots, 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 shots. And you're like, okay, I don't know what shots are, but that sounds fun. Little John makes this thing sound amazing. So let's go, right? I don't recommend you doing that, right? Think through your limit. And so let me just kind of tell y'all this. This is just a general rule of thumb. Um, your limit is probably two, okay? Uh, your limit is probably two beverages. Um, it's it may be three for some of you. It's probably not five, okay? Your limit is probably two. Nothing good happens after two drinks, okay? So if you don't know what your limit is, um, it's probably two. If it's your first time to have alcohol, it's one. It might be half for some of you, uh, which, you know, uh, uh, you know, I'm just saying. It's probably two, okay? So know your limit before you go so that when you're in that situation and you hit your limit, you can say, I'm out, that's living wisely. That helps you be a spirit-filled person so that alcohol is not controlling your actions, so that Jesus is still in control of your actions. Finally, last question, do I have an exit strategy? Do I have an exit strategy? Now, this one's important. I'm with friends. It's in private. Um, I don't have to drink. There's no pressure, and I know my limit, 
but what happens when I've hit my limit and I'm getting tired and I don't know what to do? You need an exit strategy. Are you calling an Uber? Is someone coming to pick you up? Is, um, is there a way for you to exit this thing with grace and with dignity or are you gonna be trapped in a situation and you don't know what's going on? So just again, the benefit, the shrewd side of things is you need some kind of exit strategy. And if you don't know what that is, I would just say find a friend, find someone in your life group and go, hey, I'm about to go to this thing. I think it checks all the things, but I don't know what the exit strategy is. Can you help me? I have seen far too many bad situations among us here where someone went in and was drinking with people and they were Christian friends, but they didn't have an exit strategy and things just went really poorly. And then there was a lot of hurt on the other side of that. And then there was a lot of conversations where people were having to reconcile and it was just really awkward. And so please just out of wisdom, have an exit strategy. And if I, I think if you can answer those five questions and you can make worship to Jesus in your heart and be thankful and be teachable, I think it's possible you can live in this zone. And living in this zone here might mean that you're someone who drinks for the glory of God. Or it might mean that you're someone who doesn't drink for the glory of God. But what's most important is you're someone who's not abstaining for cultural reasons. And you're not drinking for cultural reasons. You're doing all things so that Jesus gets the glory. Let me finish up by just telling you this story real quickly. Um, So I have this friend named, well, I have a friend. I'll say that. Uh, and um, uh, I recently, uh, we recently became friends. He's my age, and we have kids, and um, uh, when we first met, you know, he had a lot of questions about God, and um, so, because it's kind of our, you know, strategy, one-on-one is how it's done. I was like, hey, let me meet you for a one-on-one. He's like, what's a one-on-one? I was like, okay, uh, let me just, let's just meet. He's like, well, where do you want to meet? I was like, well, let's meet at Starbucks, and he goes, okay, it was before the pandemic, and so, I was like, let's meet at Starbucks. What time do you get off work? He said, I get off work at 6. I said, cool, let's meet there at 6.30. So we met at this coffee shop, and we sat across from the table from one another, and I just shared my testimony and talked about my life and talked about Jesus and how I believe in Jesus. And um, he talked about his life and where he was coming from. <laughs> and um, we had this really great two-hour conversation. And his, you know, at one point, his eyes are watering, and he, I could tell that he wanted to kind of learn more about Jesus and learn more about Jesus in my life. And so we were going to have, you know, a second meeting. Uh, this is like the second bromance date, right, uh, that's going to happen here. But, um, you know, platonic and cool and all that stuff, right? So we're about to have the second one. And so we get up to walk, and we're walking around. And I'm like, hey, man, I really enjoyed hanging out. He was like, I enjoyed it too. I'm looking forward to the second one. I have a lot of questions about Jesus. And I said, cool. What do you want to do again? He goes, can I ask you something? And I went, yes. And he goes, I want to meet again, but can we not meet for coffee? And I went, well, sure. He goes, uh, I don't, he's like, maybe this is just a Christian thing, but like real people meet for drinks. <laughs> you know, I just got off work. I kind of want to go get a drink. And I was like, that, like, that's okay. And in my mind, I'm going, okay, be cool. Don't be this guy. Don't be this guy. Don't be this guy. <laughs> Not that this person is like terrible, but just don't be this guy. Don't come off as this guy. And, he, and also recognize he might be here. So like be over here, be spirit filled. You know, I'm just like, okay, hold on. Jesus, I love you. I'm so thankful, Jesus. I want to be teachable. If Isaac walks up to me now, I want to be submitted to him. Okay. So I'm just thinking through the things. I'm just like, be cool. And I'm just like, okay, cool. We'll meet. Like, just tell me what bar you want to meet at, and I'll go meet you for drinks, and we'll just have a good time. He's like, okay, cool. So a few months pass, and we're, we're playing phone tag, and, you know, we're getting busy. And he finally texts me one day, and he goes, hey, Doug, I'd like to meet again. I was like, great. Uh, he goes, let's meet after I get off work. I said, great. So, like, I know there's that bar in your town. Like, let's go hang out, and we'll, we'll grab drinks and just talk. And he goes, 
actually, Doug, can we meet for coffee? And I went, oh, oh. He goes, uh, I wanted to let you know I became a Christian. And one of the things God started convicting me of is how much I drink. And so I, I, I've given up alcohol and I want to talk to you about that. And so we should probably meet for coffee. And I was like, I just texted him back. I was like, is it a thing that only Christians go to coffee shops? And he just laughed and thought that was so funny and so crazy. And I tell you this story because I want to let you know, I was prepared to go and do the thing and engage and be where people are. And the narrative isn't that God saved him and took all the alcohol out of his life. That's not the narrative. And the narrative was also not that I was like, look at me, the only way to reach these people is to go to bars because I'm a Christian and I have freedom in Christ and I can drink. That's not the narrative either. The narrative is I was trying to be led by the Holy Spirit. And when you're led by the Holy Spirit, Jesus shows up and he just does amazing stuff that's too incredible for us to ask or imagine. He takes people who are like, meet me at the bar and then turns them into people who are like, scratch that. Meet me at the coffee shop. I love Jesus now. He's also the kind of guy who says, who takes people and they say, meet me at the bar because I just want to be like C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien and I want to talk about theology. And he does all kinds of things in between. The most important thing is not whether we drink or don't drink. The most important thing is that we are led by the Spirit of God for the glory of God and for the good of the people that we love, especially as it relates to alcohol. Here's how I want us to conclude. I want to invite you to stand if you're able. And I just want to spend some time just praying over you guys wherever you are in this process. Pray that you have wisdom. And then Jesus, uh, then uh, Lucas is going to get up and sing and lead us in a song. Jesus, thank you for my friends. Lord, a lot of us in here have some things to think about. Some of us are really good with alcohol. Some of us are probably really bad with alcohol and kind of thinking through that right now. And some of us have not touched it because we're scared. We're scared we're going to end up drunk. And some of us has not touched it because we just don't want to be around alcohol. And all of that's okay here today. Jesus, would you empower us not to be for alcohol or against alcohol, not to make that the, the banner over our lives. Jesus, would you make your glory and your renown and your kingdom and your love for people the, the banner over our lives. Help us to know how to be spirit-filled Christians, especially as it relates to this issue of alcohol, for your glory and for our good and for the good of this city you love, Orlando. Jesus, you're our cornerstone, and so we sing to you right now. It's in your name we pray. Amen.